the Sunday Sermons Podcast. We're starting a brand new series this morning called The Great Adventure. It's going to go through Christmas and into the New Year's for several weeks. And it's built around some of the themes of Advent. Those of you who grew up in a, in a church or in a home that really was serious about Advent were probably going to disappoint you a little bit. And those of you who uh, don't even know what Advent is, uh, I want to make sure you do know why we're looking at these very important themes together this morning. Uh, Notice this isn't an actual wreath, uh, and three of the candles are already written. We're three weeks into Advent if you're doing this at home, especially you parents that are doing the thing that Emmeline provided. I hope you are. But these themes are so important. You don't see Advent itself mentioned in Scripture, but these ideas that we meditate on around this time of year are so powerful. Uh, the, The first candle is called the Hope Candle. It represents the hope and the promises of God. And all of these are 100% fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The second one is the prophecy candle. And it, it represents the preparation, the waiting, and literally all the prophecies that pointed to, again, Jesus Christ himself. The third candle that's lit today, this is three weeks in, like I said, this is the joy candle. And it represents joy and also the peace, the kind of peace that only God can give us. Uh, The next two are love, the love candle. It represents not only our love and adoration for God in response to all this, but his love and his his mercy and grace to us. And the fifth one, as if all the others didn't already point to Jesus, the fifth one is called the Christ candle. And it's lit on Christmas Day. It represents when Jesus actually showed up. And we're going to spend a lot of time in this series talking about what Christ expects of us. But I want to say it this morning. I'll say it every time. Everything that we do, everything that's possible for us to do, everything that God has made us responsible to do, it all depends 100% on Jesus. Everything depends on Jesus. Nothing else is possible without Jesus. We are not trying to take any glory from him. Our hope, our joy, our peace, our love, everything that we have comes from Christ. And at this season, I hope that we remember that. But I really believe that God is calling us and all his people around the world into greater, more intentional action. That he wants us to live out the things that he brought into the world more than ever. And so during this series, we're going to be focusing on how God wants us to spread his hope and keep his promises. To, to prepare the way for Christ's second coming. To live in the joy and the peace and to share the joy and the peace that he gives us. To, to express his love, not just to him, but to each other and to the world around us and invite them into that love. And again, it's all pointing to Christ, but we're the ones who are called to point to Christ. So again, as we focus mostly on what we're supposed to be doing, I hope that you don't miss that it really does depend on Jesus. Are we good on that? Hallelujah. One of the things that's really important to remember as we go through the scriptures is make sure we understand the concepts, the the way the Bible actually presents them. Every language, it's no fault of English, it's just every language has different things that we have connotations about as we go through different words. One of those is hope. And and it's very important that we understand that biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's not denial. It's not having a positive attitude. The, The idea, oh, there's always hope. As in, you never know. Something randomly good might randomly happen. 
Don't give up because something good might happen. That's not a biblical idea. That's not the kind of hope that God has. All throughout Scripture, relentlessly, hope is something that's based on something real, something tangible. Here are just a couple of real examples. Um, Naomi, when she was uh, trying to get Ruth and Orpah to not follow her in Ruth chapter 1, she tells them, um, depending on the version, but the concept is there in every single one, if it's accurate at all. She tells them, I cannot offer you hope if you follow me back. She's not saying I, I can't possibly encourage you or help you have a good attitude. She's saying there is no physical, no possible way that I can offer you another husband if you stick with me and try to follow this law that I'm supposed to. I can't offer you a legitimate hope. There's a tangible concept in there that they're using. Uh, in Job, when he is suffering and he feels like God has abandoned him, he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him or yet I will hope in him in other words where else can I go if God's letting me down I certainly can't trust in anybody else more than God I'm going to take up my case with him Job said yet I will trust in him I will take up my case with him in Proverbs there's lots and lots of verses that say something along the lines of this one which says there is more hope for fools than for people who think they are wise why? Because fools are just kind of randomly walking their way through life. They might luck into something good. But somebody who thinks they're wise are going to intentionally break God rules, God's rules thinking that they're going to get something better out of that. There's no tangible hope for that. Does it make sense? You intentionally go against God's word. You don't even have as much hope as a fool does. Psalm 33, 22, again, focuses where our only true hope is, and that is on God himself. Uh, it prays, let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. In the New Testament, we see Jesus, again, being the ultimate fulfillment of the promises and the hope and the love and everything. And we see people responding to that in different ways. In John chapter 6, uh, it's one of the accounts of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and walking on water. Peter has seen lots of these things. And also in this same passage in John 6, you see Jesus telling people that he is the bread of life and whoever eats his flesh will live forever. And it says in verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Why did they believe in Jesus? How did they know? Because what they'd seen, what they'd experienced, he just walked on water with Jesus. He knew this wasn't just a random hope. This wasn't positive thinking or denial. He knew what he had seen. And if Jesus had pulled off what he'd already pulled off, why couldn't he pull off the next thing? However unlikely that might be. Again, this is so consistent throughout the scripture. Another thing that's equally consistent, though, in, in real life and even made-up stories is that a lot of times what really is the hope seems unlikely. How likely would it have been if you were making up the story, the real story of history, that is Jesus 
Would you have written it that he would be born in a stable to a super poor little family that nobody really knew? Would you make it up the way that it actually happened? I wouldn't. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's an unlikely way to tell this story, but it's what really happened. In all the great stories, actually not all of them, but almost all of them, the hero starts out looking kind of unlikely. Anybody else a Star Wars fan out there? All right, good, couple people. I like Star Wars. But the first time you meet old Ben Kenobi, you have no idea that the dude could do anything except live out in a cave by himself. Like, he, you just really have no idea that he's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And when Princess Leia says, help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Really? And, and when you first meet Luke, he's kind of whiny. Let's be honest. He's kind of, he's a little brat. He's not that fun at the very beginning. It's just like, seriously? This is the guy? This is gonna, who's going to save this world? And, and honestly, uh, my, my dad, I remember when I was a kid, he preached a sermon um, that, that just always stuck in my head. He said, imagine what the angels must have thought when Jesus gave the Great Commission. Jesus stands up and he says, okay, here you go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded. I will be with you always to the end of the earth. And then he goes. You got to think the angels must have gone, seriously? These guys? This is who you're putting in charge? After all of that? But, but it is. And that's the thing. Again, over and over, our hope depends 100% on Jesus. But Jesus has put everything in our hands. Jesus has sent us into the world. We are the ones that Jesus has entrusted with the good news. That's a scary thought. That's an amazing thought. It's wonderful and it's beautiful and it's terrifying all at the same time. But it's real and it's consistent. And our hope for Jesus' return, our hope for how to live until then, is based, again, not on wishful thinking, not on anything that we're just imagining or randomly hoping for in the sense that something good might happen. It's based on what we know, what's happened already. Romans 5, Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Can you see it? Our hope is not rooted in just wishful thinking. I hope Jesus will come back. We know he will because he kept all the promises so far. He's brought us this far. He's given us the Holy Spirit so we can still experience him right now. We see this throughout the New Testament. Here's one more example from the Apostle Peter. He writes, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. 
So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Notice he says, keep your conscience clear, not keep their conscience clear. I think that's an important reminder to us Christians sometimes. <laughs> Thank you, you got it. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. They're going to have real hope because they see it playing out in us. I don't know why we have so much of a struggle sometimes to, to share, not, not only just share the truth at all, but to share it in a gentle and respectful way. One of the things that just bothers me sometimes when I'm driving, it's not the only thing. I'm not, I, am I alone that sometimes driving is stressful? Okay. But one of the things that really stresses me out is when I see Christian bumper stickers. So many of them are just so weird and wrong. Uh, I saw one the other day. It says, try Jesus. If it doesn't work out, Satan will always take you back. <laughs> Seriously, that's a real one. Another one says, do you follow Jesus this close? <laughs> Another one I saw, it says, in God we trust. The guns are just backup. How about this one? When you drive like I do, you better believe in God. <laughs> or, or one of them says, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> Jeff Herndon, wherever you are, I, I know you mean well. I'm just joking. Just love that guy. But he always says he's his favorite. Here's two that I saw that actually are at least on the right track. Don't get me wrong. I don't think the hope for the world, I don't think the most effective evangelistic tool in the world is bumper stickers. But these two might work. This is along the lines that we should be doing things. One says, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Basically, Micah 6.8. Another one simply says, love God, love people. There's at least a little bit of hope for those two. Would you say this this statement with me. We speak the truth in love. Let's say it together. We speak the truth in love. This has got to be true. And I know it's already true to a large degree for most of us at least, but I'm telling you this has to be 100% true for all of us. If there's any real hope to reach the world with the gospel, if we really expect people to jump on board and to follow Jesus, if we really expect to take the gospel into all the world and make disciples of all nations, the only way that's a tangible, real, literal, biblical sense of hope is if we speak the truth and we speak it in love. It has to be both. No one can come to God except, listen, this is so important, no one can come to God except through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? He said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If that is true, and I believe it is true, but listen, if that is true, then keeping that to ourselves would be unspeakably, unimaginably selfish and sinful. If that's really the truth, how dare we not share it? 
How dare we? Sharing this truth in and of itself would be an act of kindness. But how tragic it is when we share it in a way that's not loving or gentle or respectful and ruin our one chance with that person. Penn Jillette is a brilliant man who is also still, I'm still praying for him, but he's still an atheist at this point. I shared this a while back because it meant so much to me. He's got a YouTube video that he posted where somebody, a Christian, had come to him backstage and had spent a lot of time, bought him a Bible and highlighted it, wrote personal notes to it, and very respectfully offered that to him and told him how much he respected him as a thinker, as an artist, as all the other things that he did respect about him. He was very genuine about it, very respectful. But he says, I, I, I respectfully, I really believe that you're wrong about the God thing. And I, I'd love for you to read this Bible. And I've been haunted ever since I saw this video because Penn said he still doesn't believe. He says, but I appreciate that guy. I respect that guy. He says, because if what he really believes that if I don't follow his God, I'm going to go to hell. Listen to what he said. He said, how could you hate somebody so much that you wouldn't tell them that if you really believed it was true? How could you hate somebody so much that you wouldn't tell them the truth if you really believed it was true? I hope that haunts all of you as much as it haunts me. We've got to share respectfully, lovingly, but we've got to at least try. But we've got to be careful because so many people have done it wrong so many times that people are scarred. People have their, their, their guards up. 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul writes, So you can see that we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. I hope that's always, always true. Second thing, let's say this together. It's a statement of truth. I know it's true, but may it be 100% true across the board. Let's say it together. We live the truth lovingly. We live the truth lovingly. Uh, we, here, here's just a couple of ways where this has to be true. One, we don't make many promises. We keep the ones that we keep. That's one of the things that Jesus and some of his other followers were so clear about. Another one is that we actually bear each other's burdens and we work hard to build each other up just as the scripture teaches us to do. That's our lifestyle. That's how we do. Another one is that we relentlessly reach out and we relentlessly invite potential believers into the family of God. These three things constantly. Remember those three circles we spent a lot of time in? It's same, same ideas. Same three ideas. It's always there. It's all throughout the scripture. But let's talk about the promises for just a second. Jesus actually referred to the Old Testament, and he said that it, people had heard that it was said to keep your vows to God. And he said, absolutely, you should. It's even better not make many vows. He said, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Some translations say, let your yes be yes, your no be no. And almost everyone, it, it says, anything beyond this is from the evil one. 
Brothers and sisters, if, if we're not honest or consistent enough that sometimes we have to say, no, seriously, I mean it this time. I swear, I promise, something's really wrong. We've got to have the kind of integrity of people just trust what we say, even if it doesn't sound like it makes sense on the surface. James 5, 12, again, same thing. It's echoing what Christ said. He says, most of all, brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and not be condemned. Again, this is all, all the things that are most sacred to God. And these include the family. These include marriage. includes parenting. All of those are sacred, and he wants us to show respect for them. If there's any single people here today, God bless y'all. You are not second-class citizens. You don't have to be married. Are you hearing me on this? It's okay. It's good. It's healthy. Look at 1 Corinthians 7 sometime. You're actually, enjoy your singleness. It's a good thing. Right? You hear me on that? You don't have to get married to please God. But if you do get married, he wants you to be faithful. He wants you to use that marriage as a picture of God and his church. And if you've been through marriage and you come out the other side, you, you've gotten divorced, I, I want you to know God still loves you. We still love you. Nobody's judging you. But if you decide to go into it again, you need to be faithful. Marriage represents God and his church. Are you with me on this? It's not a message of judgment. It's not a, ma it's not a message of condemnation. It's, it's just, this is important stuff. Jesus said it'd be better to not make a promise at all than to make one and break it. It, it, this is just, this goes for all of us, whatever situation that we are in. But I will say this, for those of you who are married, this is not just a plug for an event. The reason we have marriage retreats all the time is because you need to invest in your relationship. It's hard. It's way easier and way more likely that you will end up breaking those promises than it is to actually be able to keep them. You've got to invest. You've got to actually fight for it. You've got to work at it. You've got to do everything you can to make sure that your marriage represents Christ in the church to the world. So I invite you to sign up today to that. We're about to wrap up. We've still got some more stuff. Are you still with me? This last stuff is so important. Please, please don't just tune out and go. We're almost over. Ephesians 4. Paul writes, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and hope in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. We know the truth. That's why we have hope. This will continue till we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge in God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Paul goes on. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Have you ever known a good liar? I'm not talking about morally good. It's always immoral to lie. But if you know somebody who's pretty good at it, their lies sound like truth, don't they? All the best lies have just enough truth in them and sound just enough like the truth that we actually believe it. Or otherwise it wouldn't work at all. We've got to be careful. 
Instead, he says, we will speak the truth in love. This is where we get that phrase in the Bible. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. I don't know about you, I think I'm personally most guilty of passing on lies just by not saying anything at all. Have you done that? Just literally just not saying anything. It's kind of like if you're at a sports thing, and maybe you're the person who's always starting the wave and you love it. Maybe you're the person who really wishes nobody had ever even thought of that. But the wave comes around, and you're like, woo, woo. And you're not really saying, oh, I love doing this. This is my favorite part of the whole sports event. But you're participating, right? Sometimes I feel like that's where we tell the most lies as Christians, is we just kind of play along. We just kind of say, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. We've got to speak it in love. We've got to speak it gently and respectfully, but we've got to speak it. Ephesians 4.25, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. Back to Star Wars one more time really quick. And I want to make it very clear, just in case you don't know me. I do not believe in the force that it's real, okay? In that world, it's real, okay? I want to say that out really clear. In that universe, it's real. In our universe, it's not, okay? So let me say that. But knowing that, this will make sense. When you first meet Han Solo, he says, Hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. And he's actually trying to help Luke Skywalker out. He's like, dude, don't put your faith in that. It's garbage. It's not going to work. But they show him respect. They let him know they need him on their team. Even if he doesn't believe in the force, he doesn't believe in it at all. He thinks they're goofy about it. But they need him on the team. They need his skills. They need his blaster. They need his ship. They want him on the team. They like him. They keep calling him into it. By the end of the story, here's his perspective. He says, I used to wonder about all that myself. I thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo, a magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light. Crazy thing is, it's true. The force, the Jedi, all of it, it's all true. What changed for Han Solo? They didn't have a really good argument that he lost. They didn't have a really good bumper sticker on the back of Luke's X-Wing. They didn't demand that he follow the rules of the force before he actually decided to believe in it. They were gentle. They were respectful. They treated him well. And they invited him into, in that world, what was really true. And he finally bought in. This is how it works in our world. This is how it works. And this is, the title of this whole series is a great adventure. And if you haven't got the pun, there it is. Advent is right in the middle of the whole thing. Are you right? Right in the middle of the adventure. We live between Christ's first advent and his second advent. But this is act three of the grand story, the great adventure that is the world. Act one of any great story. Everything gets set up. You meet the main characters. You know why the world's broken. It needs to be fixed. There's a promise of somebody being the Savior. And you meet the Savior. And you meet some of their their people in their band. And there's hope. Second act. It looks like they win. And then it looks like everything's lost completely. 
Does this sound familiar? Just about any great story you've ever heard in your life. But then there's a decisive victory. And Act 3 begins, the hero and his heroic company work together to actually accomplish what they set out to accomplish. In Star Wars, that's the Return of the Jedi episode. You follow me? Brothers and sisters, that's us. That's us right now. We live in Act 3. We are the heroic company of the Savior. He made the decisive victory, but we are living in the space between that and when he comes, the final pages of the whole story. And he's given us the responsibility to get things ready for the end. We dare not not play our role. We dare not ignore this responsibility. 2 Timothy 2. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Do you love the people around you at all? Do you love your family? Do you love the people you work with? Do you love strangers, even if they get on their ner your nerves? If you do, or even if you don't, but you're willing to try and learn how to, we invite you this morning to join the heroic company of Jesus Christ. The one and only way, the one and only truth, the one and only life, the only one that we can actually put legitimate hope in in this life. But he is inviting us as believers to play this role with him. And he is inviting you, if you're not a believer today, to join his company. We're going to sing again. There's going to be people here to welcome you. Whatever decision you need to make in that direction, we invite you to do it right now.